Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. Places, everyone. It's time for The, the Connor, Connor and Smith, Smith Show. Thank you, Places. Today we're talking to Adam Guan. Uh, one of our favorites. One of our favorites, composer of The Boy Detective, Fails, and many other works. Um, the Boy Detective, Fails is clearly uh, seminal and close to my heart. Um, I enjoyed our chat. Matthew and Adam were the composers that shared the spotlight of the American Musical Voices project um, thing that happened in uh, 2011, I think. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with Adam Guan. Right. We'll be right back. Thank you. Hi, Adam. Hey, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm here I'm... with somebody else you may know. Hi, Adam. Hey, Matt. How's it going? We're just sitting here on the couch. Amazing. <laughs> I love it. It's like a, a true, a tr in true podcasting form, just chilling <laughs> on the couch, recording an episode. It's like you're in our living room. I love it. <laughs> How have you been, my friend? Um, I've been all right. You know, it's been it's been a wild year and a half, I would say. Yes, it has. <laughs> what did you do? Um, I stayed in my apartment. <laughs> What's that? You stayed in, in New York. I was in, yes, I was in New York for um, just about the whole time. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited that the world is starting to open up again and I've been been places. I've seen my family, for instance. <laughs> and and you, you were a witness to New York just sort of slowly dissolving into this emptiness. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was eerie at the, at the beginning, especially because we were, you know, we were in the part of the kind of first wave of the, like, of the badness. Um, and, uh, and I live in Queens, which is like across the river from, from, you know, Manhattan. Um, and so stayed in Queens for the most part, but those, those couple times where I like passed through Midtown Manhattan in the middle of everything was eerie. It was just like a ghost town. Things were boarded up. Um, you know, like Times Square was empty. It was just, it was just very strange. Um, but, uh, but things are definitely, you know, starting to come back at this point and people are going into town and commuting and taking the subway again. So it feels like it's coming back. So were you already a Zoom expert before uh, being contacted and saying you need to teach master classes and uh, basically show up for opening nights on Zoom? No, I don't think, I think I had only ever used Zoom one time before or two times before. I had been in the room with a Zoom before where I was in a meeting and people were, were Zooming into it. Um, but it, it never really registered that like Zoom was a thing. I didn't carry that concept with me out into the world outside of that room. 
And then I think I, I had to interview someone for uh, a magazine article for the, the Dramatist Guild. And I think that they used Zoom to record that conversation. It wasn't video, but I think I'm pretty sure that they used the audio feature to record the interview so that I could go back and listen to it and pull quotes from it and stuff afterward. But I had never, I didn't have Zoom on my computer at all. I had never initiated a Zoom thing myself before this this pandemic hit. We're all pros now. I kind of, I kind of, I'm upset that I didn't like put a hundred dollars in like Zoom stock like in 2019. I know, right? <laughs> so what is, uh, Adam, um, in, in the intro to your segment, we of course tee up all of your accomplishments. Um, and we'll get to, you know, highlighting some of those. But what is Adam Guan working on now? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, at the at this very moment, I am trying to get some new projects started. Um, I, was, I was very fortunate. Oh, is that a dog that I hear? Uh, he was congratulating you. <laughs> he wants me to get, start, get started a new project. Too. Or maybe be in it. Right, there you go. He's Is it Cujo? No. <laughs> yeah, full disclosure, Adam, we have two pugs. Uh, the one you just heard from was Edgar Allan Pug. He's off. He's off. <laughs> and the other pug, in case he chimes in, is Lord Byron. Amazing. I feel like those are both related to musicals that you have written. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Enough about us. <laughs> um, uh, so yes, I'm starting. I'm trying to start a couple new projects. I was very fortunate to get a couple new commissions during the pandemic year from from theaters who basically said we're not putting on productions. We're going to take some of that money and commission some some people that we like to have stuff coming down the pike. Um, but I I found it very difficult to actually look at a blank page and start something from scratch during this past year. Um, uh, most of the stuff that I had actually worked on was sort of reimagining things that already existed for this, this crazy digital world that we found ourselves in. Um, so now I'm finally trying to get these, these couple of new projects going. Um, and it's been, it's been a slow process to try to sort of dive back into that, that brain space, but, I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting, like, we've talked to so many different composers, artists, whatever, um, the, some found inspiration, and some yeah. were like really struggling to, you know, find inspiration, find inspiration. Yeah. Um, and, and everyone, it's different based on their situation, their location, you know, um, sure. but, uh, it's it's I'm glad that things are starting to kind of come back and you're working on stuff. Always love uh knowing what anybody's like interested in and working on and like researching and you know things like that. Um we uh are so Adam, I'm sorry, Stevie. With, with your commissions, <laughs> you don't have to tell me what you're working on, but with the commissions, are you looking for inspiration for a brand new uh, topic, idea, subject, or is the theater already giving you like this is going to be based on, you know, the Ford one hundred and fifty new truck? <laughs> um, no, although I bet that commission would like 
pay a good pay a good fee. A little commercial for uh, for Ford Motor Company. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, no, these were um, uh, ideas that I sort of came across and 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 proposed as topics for the for these commissions. Um, and so the one that I'm I'm trying to focus more on right now is actually an adaptation of a play that I discovered during the pandemic. Um, uh, and I don't want to say too much about it because I'm still sort of like, I'm at the very early stages of figuring out what it is. And I feel like if I say too much, the, the mojo will go away. Yeah. Um, but um, but at the but early on in the in the pandemic, I of course was very heartbroken by the fact that there was no theater happening, and especially heartbroken at all the people that I knew that had shows that were about to premiere and then weren't able to because I know I just know how difficult it is to you know get a production and all the things that have to go right for it to happen, and then for this crazy thing that's completely out of your control to happen and make it go away, I just found so terrible. Um, and so I, I embarked on this little passion project of trying to read as many scripts as I could of um, plays and musicals that that had gotten canceled or shut down uh, because of the pandemic. Um, and one of the ones that I read was a play by a playwright that I had was familiar with um, sort of by reputation, but had never met. Um, and I read this play of his, um, which had you know gotten gotten canceled, and just fell in love with it. I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And then a couple months later, actually, Signature Theater um, uh, called and said, "Hey, they exactly what I said. They were like, we're gonna we're trying to commission a bunch of people um, in the in the middle of this pandemic, and I." Is there anything that's sort of on your mind that you'd want to write? And I had I had read this play a few months ago and, and not stopped thinking about it. And and I said, I read this play and I've not stopped thinking about it. And I think maybe it would be a good musical. Um, and so I I sent the the, the play script to Signature, um, and they liked it and agreed. And I ended up connecting with the playwright. Uh, who very graciously gave me his permission to take his script and 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 adapt it into a musical. So that's what I'm trying to to get started at the moment. That's awesome. Yeah, I was I I was I was very happy to have discovered you know in the absence of seeing shows and and being able to go to the theater for the past year, I really. I really loved the experience of reading all these scripts and especially this one, which really just took a hold of me and, and hasn't let go yet. So, And this is Signature in New York or Signature in D.C.? Um, signature in D.C., our, our, our stomping ground. Oh, we, we're going to meet up soon. Yeah, hopefully, yes. <laughs> well, that's exciting. Yeah. So um, now that we've talked about the future, um, <laughs> let's glance backward. Um, so we, we met, the three of us met due to the American New Musical Voices project. Uh, you two were the composers um, of the AMVP rep shows, The Boy Detective Fails and uh, The Hollow. Yes, indeed. 
taking it back to 2000 and like, so the, the, let's see the, the uh, rehearsals, the workshops was what, 2008 or nine, nine. Yes. Something like that. I was, I was actually trying to remember the time frame of all this earlier today when I was thinking about our conversation and I couldn't remember the exact year. Although I did remember that the first, the conversation I had with Eric, where I proposed The Boy Detective Fails, because I had read the novel and, and proposed it as my commission, uh, was whenever Glory Days was running on Broadway, because I met up with him. I went to see the show, and then we went out after the show, and I proposed this. I proposed The Boy Detective. So whatever year Glory Days was on Broadway, it was the year that I started working on the show we're scratching our heads too <laughs> um it's well it, not only was it a long time ago but i think the pandemic has made things feel even strangely stranger strangelier that's not a word yes okay. well t- yeah time has sort of lost all of its meaning i feel yeah I, i'm like i don't remember me at all <laughs> i i want to say 2008 i think you're right i think you're right um, even if not, we're going going for it, right? Yeah. Um, going with that. So that that summer, um, it was it was, boy. Uh, I think I saw my first baseball game that summer at the Nats yes. Stadium. We all took a trip to the Nats game. Yeah, and you know that's not just it's just not something I'm usually drawn to. <laughs> but I had such a good time that I've gone back since. Um, Nice. I, I don't even know what's going on. I'm just caught up in the excitement, you know? <laughs> I love that theater was your gateway to sports. Isn't like, that interesting? Because of theater, you got into sports. <laughs> I mean, and when we say into, it's really just a social event, let's be honest. <laughs> um, but that was the first time that both you and Matthew got to kind of see, do the ultrasound of the kid, basically. See what was there. Yeah. Um, and what and then, of course, work went on from there uh, because they were produced um, the summer jointly, yeah, jointly in the fall of two thousand and eleven. Eleven, yes, I think that that definitely rings a bell. The two thousand eleven year, yeah, um, and it was a really difficult. Uh, I know, not for my point of view but i know from the cast that had to do both of the shows was an extremely difficult like right because you were only in for detective yeah. correct yeah they were kind to me because um, <laughs> i cannot imagine doing i can i mean your part in boy detective is a beast never left the stage left except the stage. for like yeah. 30 seconds that's right each show had two leads that were not in each other's show but the rest of the company was in both shows right yeah yeah i remember the 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 huge lesson i took away in terms of watching the cast do both of those shows was never pigeonhole an actor and think that they can only do one thing because we were living with the cast in 
boy detective world, which is sort of, you know, whimsical, contemporary musical theater land. And then all of a sudden I saw them in the hollow, which is this like dark, lyrical, historical, beautiful thing, a completely different world, completely different vocal styles and the singing and they and the cast was just nailing it in both shows and and i, I never it, it really changed the way i think about actors and what they can do um and just how versatile people can be and that it's 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 such a shame that we often box people into like thinking they can only do one thing absolutely it's a shame we could have never really enjoyed that experience <laughs> because, because you, you know, usually you kind of build a a family, and and you, when we're doing shows, but like, yeah. I, and I'll speak for myself, like I felt like there was a family, but yet it was still kind of the sharks and the jets. No, no, I don't think it, there was a shark. There was no competition like that. It was just people were always. It, it was never the full family unit at any given moment. There was always right. people missing because we couldn't all be together, and. You know, it was just, I mean, clearly uh, the boy detective, the hollow was two completely different ideas and sounds and textures and orchestration. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, and then also, um, we probably shouldn't talk about the, the rap forever, but I did feel like it was, it, we were in some sort of like on a project runway scenario where we just had to make things, we had to make fast decisions quick. Yeah. Well, that was the thing I didn't, I don't think we, I don't think anyone realized until we got into previews, just how tricky it would be to actually work on the shows and make changes in the way that you normally would during a preview period, because we were all, the show was alternating performances every night, but also alternating rehearsal time during the day. So I remember like, if we wanted to change something, we kind of had to wait because we actually weren't rehearsing with the cast for our show for like another two days because they were about to rehearse and perform the other show. So it just became, and I don't think anyone really realized the logistics of that until we, we got into the thick of it, which is why we never saw each other because we were always so frantically trying to to get in time with our cast and and get everything done that we wanted to get done. Well, you know, I'm not really a, I don't like follow my husband's Twitter page or <laughs> Facebook page. Like I'm not a big fan of his work in the sense of like, I'm always trying to find Stephen work, <laughs> but I will say, you know, his portrayal of boy detective. I mean, I've only seen Stephen disappear, you know, a dozen of times on stage. Only a dozen, maybe two dozen. <laughs> But man, The Boy Detective was really a show that he disappeared and just became this boy detective. Margot yeah. Seibert's work. Yeah. I mean, them together, uh, Tom Sim. I remember so many images from The Boy Detective and so many people in this area, of course, who saw it. I mean, to this day, we were just talking about like last weekend in the, in the park mm -hmm. because people remember such, it was such a... Um, an image and the sound and the music. Um, let, let's see, I'm going to try to name this. Let's see, I remember, uh, oh, what's your face? Anika Larson. Oh, yeah, Larson. Anika Larson, yeah. Uh, uh, I Like was such a... Yeah, the secret song. Uh, oh my God, such a beautiful <laughs> song. Um, 
Was there like a was there like a Billy Arco boy? I mean, it was such an amazing score, and it was such an amazing book. And I remember Stephen jumping over the the townhouses, and I thought, oh my god, this is fucking brilliant staging. And I'm going to sometime I guess I'll steal this when I like remount the show someplace. But like. Just a, I mean, just amazing, amazing moments in that show. Um, d- d- has the show gone on to a lot of other different um, theaters? I know that it was done here in, in D.C. maybe two more times after that. I think it's only been done in D.C. one other time. Um, we, it, ha- it hasn't really made the rounds, really. Um, we, we did a workshop of it. Of a couple of years after the signature run uh, in New York through Lincoln Center and their director's lab. Um, and, and then it sort of like went away for a while and, and came back just like, oh, it was, you know what it was? It was the last production that I got to be part of before the shutdown before the pandemic um because earlier that year or i guess i guess in 2019 completely out of the blue i got an email from aaron posner who i had never met but i had seen i had seen a bunch of his plays like his um his Chekhov adaptations and stuff um and completely out of the blue got an email from him and exactly like you said he you know, he was like, I, I live in DC. I saw that production at Signature and it just sort of stuck with me. Um, and now I am, he's teaching at American University and he was like, I'm trying to kind of get a, a sort of new works program uh, going there with the shows that I'm directing. And would you would you be cool if I, you know, directed a production of Boy Detective at American, and we could even have you and Joe come and play around with it if you wanted to like write any new stuff or, or be involved in rehearsals or that kind of thing. Um, and of course we jumped at the chance just because we Joe and I, uh, Joe Mino who wrote the novel and the book for the musical, uh, we adore each other and never really get to see each other often because he lives in Chicago. Um, so yeah, we, we jumped at the chance and and, spent some time at American and, and it played there the middle or end of February of 2020. So it was the last, the last like rehearsal process that I was in before the shutdown. And in fact, I, I was talking to Aaron a few months ago um, cause he, he's still at American and was, was directing, uh, he wrote something that he was uh, directing for the, the, like the pandemic production at American, which they were airing over zoom. Uh, And when I talked to him, he said that he had gone back into the theater space at American for the first time since the shutdown, because they were filming some stuff for this production. Um, And he had forgotten, but the set for boy detective was still there because it never went away because everything shut down and people went home. So, so for like a year and a half, the the set for his production of Boy Detective just lived on the the empty stage of American University. Oh my God, that's the opening of a film. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow, I have such fond memories of that show. Um, 
And I remember that that was happening here. And I think I was unavailable to come. And then part of me was glad that I was because I think it would have just been like too heartbreaking to watch. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, it's weird. It's just like one of those encore moments with Marsha Malcolm Dodge on Disney plus. Yeah. <laughs> just, just like it. It's, it's more like the merrily we roll along documentary. Of right. Like, right. You can get it the back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but that is one of, one of just many facets of you, Adam, um, would you say the the big breakthrough show for you was Ordinary Days? Yes, I would say that. Um, uh, yeah, and it happened. I remember. I, I think I think you were right when you said that we did the Boy Detective workshop in two thousand and eight because between the workshop and the production is when Ordinary Days happened, like when it premiered in New York, it, which was two thousand and nine. Um, and it's actually how I met. Hunter Foster, um, because Hunter, of course, co-wrote The Hollow with Matt, um, and then ended up being in Ordinary Days in New York. But I met him for the first time doing that workshop. That's a wow. Yeah. So, if for people who may not know or may want to check it out, can you kind of tell us what Ordinary Days is about and what inspired you to write it? Yeah, um, Ordinary Days is a four-character chamber musical that basically follows these two sets of young people in New York City. One pair of characters are in their 20s and meet for the, they don't know each other, they meet for the first time and kind of become reluctant friends. And the other set of characters are a bit older uh, in their 30s and are in a, they're a romantic couple whose relationship is sort of coming apart. Um, and the two storylines eventually kind of intersect in a, in a climactic moment towards the end of the show. Um, but it's really, it's really, it's, it's a, an almost sung through kind of intimate musical. And it came about, I had, I had gotten this really cool fellowship uh, through the Dramatist Guild, which they still have. It's called the Dramatist Guild Fellowship. And, it brings together a group of musical theater writers and a group of playwrights into a basically a, a year-long writers group where you're bringing in stuff and getting feedback and, and all that kind of thing. And I basically used this fellowship to write Ordinary Days. And I didn't have a, a preconceived idea of what I was going to write when I came into the fellowship. So I just started writing songs and i and i really really liked and continue to like story songs which which a lot of times live in the cabaret world you know a, a kind of singer at a piano telling you a story through song um and i liked writing them so much and i really wanted to figure out a way where i could have story songs be part of a musical because a lot of times in musicals you don't stop to sing a story song because that sort of takes away the 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 energy of the of, and the pacing of the storytelling. So I so I just started writing a bunch of songs that weren't connected at first, and then the more I wrote, the more these characters came into focus, and I you know came up with the storyline that that tied all of these songs together, and and really that's how Ordinary Days was born. 
and and 9-11 plays a role in the show, correct? It does, it does. Yeah, one of the first songs I wrote uh, was a song called I'll Be Here. And originally it was just, like I said, a sort of standalone story song. And I had I had been at a, a benefit for a friend's school in New York. Um, and the school was in, in Brooklyn and they had, they had lost several parents uh, on 9-11 who like worked in the, at the, in the World Trade Center. And so this, this benefit for the school was, was um, sort of raising money for scholarships and celebrating the memory of these, these folks who had been lost. This was, this was a few years after 9-11. Um, and there was a woman who spoke um, and she had lost her husband and she just, I can't even remember exactly what she said, but I just remember really being moved by her sense of hope that she discovered about having to move on, keep with her life and like keep living after experiencing this incredible loss. Um, and so, so she kind of inspired uh, this song, I'll Be Here, that I wrote. Um, and it was the first song that I, that I wrote when I was writing songs for this this fellowship. Um, so I brought in this song uh, for feedback and very much to my surprise, it got like this incredible response from the group. And so I thought, oh, I should definitely, maybe I should just build a show around this song. Um, and, and yeah, so that song sort of happens towards the end of the show. Um, and really that character storyline, um, I kind of, you know, worked backwards from that song uh, and wrote wrote that part of the show to sort of arrive at, at that song, I'll Be Here. Um, and that was, uh, a production of that show was done down here at the Roundhouse Theater. Yes. I, I believe, pre-COVID. Um, yeah. And so uh, other people who live around this, the DMV area, will remember Cake Off that happened at Signature Theater. Yeah. <laughs> the the bake baking musical extravaganza. Um, can you um, can you tell us about that? Like what what inspired you to write that? I mean, cook aside from cooking shows, I mean, or was that it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cooking shows played a big part in it. Um, uh, sadly, I cannot take credit for this I, idea. Um, uh, the The idea really came from, well, it came from two places. One was uh, there was a 10-minute play that the playwright Sherry Wilner wrote called Bake Off, one letter different. Um, she she wrote this play, I believe, for the Humana Festival down in, in Louisville. And it was a, a 10 minute play that was essentially the, the last scene in Kickoff, if, if you saw it, which is like the final showdown between the two finalists. Um, and she was inspired, she writes a lot of plays that are inspired by real life events, um, especially real life events that make her angry. <laughs> um, and she had read this article about the Pillsbury Bake Off, which is a real thing that is an amateur baking competition that happens every year. And it's this huge like national to do. And it started way back in like the 1940s as a morale booster during wartime. Um, and, it, and every year, the, it had a very small 
monetary prize for the winner at the end. And then I think in 1996 or somewhere around there, uh, as a marketing ploy, Pillsbury decided to up the prize money from what was then like $25,000 to a million dollars, kind of as this publicity stunt. Um, and so it was this huge deal. It got all of this attention. And all of a sudden, this competition that had historically been almost all women, all these men entered the competition for the first time because it was a million dollar prize. And that year, the first year that it was a million dollar prize, a man won and took home the million dollars. That And that's a true story. Um, so Sherry read about this and it made her very angry <laughs> as a woman. And, uh, and so she wrote this 10 minute play that sort of channeled this anger in a very funny way. Um, and the playwright, Julia Jordan, uh, who uh, knew, knew Sherry and knew this play, uh, thought that it would be a great musical um, and sort of reached out to both Sherry and I with the idea of taking this 10 minute play and expanding it into a full length musical. Um, so the only credit I can take is saying, yes, that's a really good idea. Uh, and then going along for the ride with, with Julia and Sherry. Well, yeah, it was a fantastic show with one of my favorite all-time actresses in the Washington, D.C. area. Or the world. Or the world, <laughs> Sherry Edelin Simpson. Oh, my gosh. She's amazing. She's amazing. <laughs> Sherry's just so fearless. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to talk about some of your other shows that you've got out there in the world in case uh, people are looking for, you know, other kinds of new works. Uh, yeah. We we just did a episode with Michael Barron out at Lyric Theater of Oklahoma. Um, and uh, so let's talk about Bernice Bob's Her Hair. Yes. Um, so that is an, that was another collaboration of mine with Julia Jordan, um, which is was actually Bernice Bob's Her Hair I predates Ordinary Days, I believe. Um, it, Julia, it was one of the first things that I wrote really i had met julia was, is sort of like a, a a formative presence in my life i met her not too long after i graduated from college and did this workshop called the composer librettist studio which is basically it's a it's a two-week workshop that's hosted at this place called new dramatists in new york and New Dramatist is a, a very cool organization where very cool playwrights get offered a seven-year residency. So there are all these very cool playwrights in residence at, at this place called New Dramatists. And every year they do this composer librettist studio where they bring in, I think it's five composers from all different kinds of composing genres. So there's musical theater people, there's opera people, there's pop people, there's folk people, there's contemporary art music people. It's sort of this like kaleidoscope of, of composers that come in and, excuse me, and get to collaborate with five of the resident playwrights at New Dramatists. So you basically over this two week period, rotate around and write a musical theater or a music theater something with each of these playwrights. You know, you start with writing a song with one person and then build and build and build. So by the end, you're writing a 10 minute musical with the the last person you're collaborating with. Um, and Julia and I 
met during this workshop um, and I was very young and she, she was much further along in her career and kind of said like, Hey kid, like, come with me. You gotta, like, you should be, you, you, she basically said like, you belong, you, you belong in this community of theater people. You should, you should do this. Um, so, so let me show you the ropes kind of thing. Um, so she's been this kind of like amazing mentor, uh, figure in my life. I, I sometimes refer to, I sometimes refer to her as like my theater drag mother. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever like have told that to her directly, but I sort of think of her in the in as like the like my drag mother in terms of like the theater world. Um, and so right after this workshop, she had been she had been working on a play adaptation of Bernice Bob's her hair, uh, which if you don't know the story, it's a it's a fantastic. F. Scott Fitzgerald story that is essentially the 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 basis for Mean Girls. It's um it's the plot of Mean Girls, but written by F. Scott Fitzgerald in 1911 or whenever it was written um, about this very popular girl who's kind of like boring cousin comes to stay with her for the summer, and the popular girl decides to make over her boring cousin in her own image. And she does it so successfully that the boring cousin becomes fabulous and steals the popular girl's boyfriend. And then they kind of go to war with each other. Um, uh, so Julia had been working on a play adaptation, which she um, felt really should be a musical. And so that is the first thing that we wrote together. Um, and then, like you said, got to do it in, uh, in production uh, with Michael Barron out at the Lyric Theater of Oklahoma. And and so, it's, it's, I, I would. I'm sorry, Edgar. 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 <laughs> he's vi he's vibing on the Scott Fitzgerald. He's I, a literary kind of guy. He's got five barks. <laughs> um. So I would imagine the music is very like. Is it twenties or is it? It is. It's definitely like period flavored. Um. And uh, yeah. So it's got kind of a, 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 a like jazz era vibe to it filtered through the the contemporary adam guan lens of course right 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 um so what is scotland as a pennsylvania person i'm wow. interested in what is scotland pa about scotland pa is adapted from a movie also called scotland pa which is a retelling of the scottish play set in a burger shop in rural Pennsylvania in the 1970s. Oh my God. Um, yes, as, as a Pennsylvania person, you must watch this movie. In fact, the movie was just put on, I think it's Amazon Prime streaming um, because of the musical. Like the, the, the movie came out in like 2000 or 2001 um, and I don't think was very widely known. Like it, it, it kind of like built this cult following over the years, um, but wasn't like a big, a big brand name movie when it came out. Um, and uh, this playwright named Michael Mitnick um, proposed it to me as an adaptation uh, for a musical and I had never seen it. So I, I watched the film and uh thought it was great and agreed with him. Um, and as we were working on the musical, 
the movie kind of went out of print. Like it had, it was really easy to get on DVD when Michael first approached me about it. But then I remember one time we were in rehearsals for a workshop of it and there's a used bookstore by the rehearsal space that I would sort of browse during our lunch breaks. Um, and one day I found the Scotland PA DVD there, but it was on sale for like 80 bucks because it had gone out of print and it was kind of like a rare. Um, and apparently because the musical sort of put it back in the zeitgeist, I guess, um, uh, the producers of the film came to see the musical and uh, like went back to the movie and like remastered it or did whatever you have to do to make it available for streaming. Um, and the, the, the writer of the film just uh, wrote to us like a month ago and said, Hey guys, thanks <laughs> because of you, the movie's like on Amazon. Here's the link. You can watch it. Um, oh, that's fantastic. So de definitely watch it. I think you, I think you would dig it. It's like dark and funny and Pennsylvania. Set, in, set in like the boondocks of Pennsylvania. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely watching it. Um, <laughs> so you brought something back to life. That's amazing. It, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I uh, guess we are looking at the uh, Cloudlands from South Coast Repertory. Oh, yes. You're, yes, going through the ticking all the shows off. I, I want to know. <laughs> I want everybody else to know, too, so they can say, oh, I want to do that show at my theater. I love it. <laughs> um, so Cloudlands, yes. So the, that I wrote with a fantastic playwright named Octavio Solis. And I actually met Octavio in the same workshop where I met Julia Jordan. So he was another of the resident playwrights that were in this workshop. And like Julia, he was like much further along in his career than I was at the time. Um, and we hit it off and wrote this song together about a, uh, a girl who, who discovers that her mom is having an affair. Like that was the, that was the idea that Octavio came up with for whatever prompt for this song that we had to write. Um, uh, and he, at the time, and I think still is, um, an artist in residence or associate artist at uh, South Coast, South Coast Repertory in California. And so a couple of years after we did that workshop, South Coast Rep, uh, approached Octavio about a commission and he said hey what about a musical like I wrote this song a couple years ago that I feel like I have the whole story in my head and I wrote it with this this composer Adam Guan and and in a very rare move the theater who had essentially never heard of me was like yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> and so I got, I remember getting a call out of the blue from Octavio um, saying, hey, so I, we have a commission to write a musical based on that song we wrote like three years ago um, uh, for South Coast Rap. Um, and I said, really? Wow. Okay, let's, let's do it. Um, and so we did. Um, and it's a, it, it, an original story that Octavio wrote. Uh, it's a five character musical um and it essentially what Oct i remember octavio saying when he wanted to create it he wanted to sort of marry like a hitchcock film and a greek tragedy but set in like contemporary 
times. And I feel like that's exactly <laughs> what he did. Um, uh, it's this, it is a story, the song where the girl discovers that her mom is having an affair happens sort of at the beginning. It's sort of the thing that kicks everything off. Um, and this, this girl, this, it goes on a mission to sort of find out who this man is that her mom seems to be in love with, who is not her dad. Um, and, and so that is, that's the story. It's sort of her, um, befriending this this man that her mom is having an affair with and and the many tangled complications that come from that and if anyone is listening uh right now that wants to learn more about how to license your work or where to find more information about your work uh, should they just uh find your website yeah i think that's probably the best if you go to adamguan.com um it lists all the shows and some of them are um, licensed by like licensing houses that you can contact. And some of them are just handled by myself or my agents. Um, and so all of the information is on the website and worst case scenario, you can always just reach out to me. My email is also on the website. You can, you can contact me and I can point you in the right direction. Well, congratulations on all of your merits and awards and just shout outs and all of your shows. Your shows are now, international in several languages right that not is, all of them but some of them yeah no that's true it's it's uh it's, they've been translated into languages that that i don't understand <laughs> which is kind of amazing i mean when is scotland pa going to be in scotland um that is a good I, I can't wait that would be an excellent uh an excellent location for that show um uh but we'll see that one that that show uh uh premiered the end of 2019 and so we had a bunch of plans in motion for more life for it that have have been on pause like everything else so so hopefully when things get going again um i'll get to i'll get to see scotland pa up again and maybe you will too who knows yes absolutely well, well we love you so much oh um, i love you too what were you gonna say steven i'm sorry i was gonna say i'm looking at the time and i want to be sensitive to your time and uh, you're looking at the time and you want to watch Rachel. Okay, maybe. <laughs> you're like, Rachel comes at nine. Maybe we should see what's happening. <laughs> A lot of news happened today. Um, so, so I was going to say, we usually wrap every show with these three questions. So All right. Take it away, Matthew. Okay, first question. During the pandemic, a lot of people learned different languages, went back to like Duolingo and to recipes and said, I'm gonna learn how to bake banana bread for all my neighbors. Did you do uh, anything, did you learn anything during the pandemic outside of, of course, learning how to Zoom? I learned Ableton, which is this music program that I had never used before. It essentially kind of lets you uh, create all kinds of instruments and recordings and stuff on on your computer. And I've, I've always been such an analog kind of guy when it comes to composing, like, like give me a piano and like a piece of paper and a pencil and I'll like write you a song. <laughs> so when the pandemic hit, I, I, I decided to embrace the electronic stuff that I had been ignoring for so long. And, uh, and so, yeah, I learned how to use this program, Ableton, a little bit at least. So Ableton helps you to like notate your ideas uh, in, in, for your score? 
Um, it's not a, a notation program. It's like a, a a tracking program. It's it's like a sort of like logic, basically. Like you, yeah, 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 yeah. You can, you can record MIDI stuff, and so so for someone who plays keyboard like I do, you can add in all different kinds of instruments to tracks and 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 that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, second question before I turn it over to Mr. Steven um, is a lot of people during the pandemic started binging uh, all kinds of Netflix, Amazon Prime shows. Was there uh, what shows did you watch? that you, you would never take the time to watch, but you're like, oh, my God, you watched the entire season of uh, Friends. Oh, gosh. You know, we uh, my partner and I so many. I mean, we've had so much time. We we did um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, like all 12 or 13 seasons. Um, we did all of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I think was like 10 seasons. Um, and now we are in the middle of the great British pottery throwdown. Have you heard about this? No. Um, it's, uh, I think it, it's on Netflix. And if you like the great British Bake Off, you might very well like the Great British Pottery, pottery Throwdown. Throwdown. It's um, it's it's like Bake Off, but instead of baking, it's pottery. Um, but the real reason to watch is the host. There's this guy who is like a pottery expert who is the host, but he's like the weirdest guy you will see on TV. He, I can't even describe his fashion sense except to say that it's not good. Um, but yet he's on television, like wearing these like very strange outfits. And then he's like, he's this big, he's probably like six foot five, just this like Hulk of a man who makes pottery, but also is very emotional. And so we just cries at things oh my and, God. and and you know how you know how on the british bake-off if paul hollywood shakes your hands like that means you did a really good job like you get the handshake um on the pottery throwdown if the guy cries that means you did really good like he'll be talking about your pottery and he just starts crying it's, it's kind of amazing <laughs> Oh my God. So there's going to be a companion piece to Cake Off. It's called like Pot-O. Pottery Throwdown. Pottery Throwdown, the musical, starring Sherry Eaglin. As yes. It's a one woman show. Exactly. She plays all the characters. <laughs> Not afraid to get her hands dirty. Um, all right. And uh, Adam, so Matt is producing a colleague of ours. A holiday album. Uh, actually, it's already been recorded. It's now just being mastered and mixed and everything. Oh, cool! Um, and it's called "I Wish It So." Uh, this it's the Blitzstein song. But anyway, um, so it's got us thinking a lot about wishes and what a wish really is. Like almost like a manifestation of something. Hope could be supplanted for the word wish, um, of course. Yeah. But so I made this wish box. Uh, it looks really embarrassing. Looks like child art. <laughs> the box needs a wish. Yeah, <laughs> I wish the box would look better than it does. It but will. it will. But anyway, uh, so we've been asking our guests this question and putting their answers inside. You now, are guest oh, number wow. fifty-five. Yes, you are guest number fifty-five. Wow. Um, and we uh, we are also working with uh, an artist who has a studio here in Arlington. Her name is Sushmita Mazumdar, and we're going to have a 
an unboxing of the wishes to coincide with uh, Susan's album release. Oh, wow. And we're going to look at all these, you know, kind of a, a barometer of where human uh, beings minds were during the past year. Um, and she, the artist is then going to take those wishes and do something really cool with them on paper um, and make an exhibit. So, so the first thing that comes to your mind, top of your brain, if you had one wish and it could be for yourself, your family, the country, the world, what would it be? Whoa. You just took a turn on this whole podcast. You know, it, was so, <laughs> it was so fun. And now <laughs> the pressure. Whoa. Um, I wish for compassion. That's the first word that comes to my mind. I wish for more compassion in the world. All right. I am writing it down. Um, your wishes granted. Let's hope. Let's hope. Um, awesome. Thank you so much for spending time with us, Adam. It was Thanks really for having fun. me. And we'll put your website and everything in the description of this. And... Um, yeah, let's let's not be strangers now that we're all vaccinated and stuff. Next time you're in town or vice versa, let's catch up. Yes, I would love that. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I loved talking with you guys. Bye, right. Adam. Bye. Have a good one. Bye. You too. So great to catch up with Adam. Thank you, Adam, for being with us. I loved our time together on The Boy Detective Fails. I love all your other shows and what you're doing. Um, Matthew, you had a unique experience sharing that um, dual uh, experience of the rep with the AMVP rep, right? Yeah, it was amazing. It was kind of, uh, you know, it was kind of like Project Runway with a musical. Um, but what was interesting was, you know, we never really competed because it we had such different uh, tapestries of material and sound. And I love everything that Adam offers. Uh, he's, he's a beautiful composer. I loved the time spent as Billy Argo Boy Detective. Um, one of my favorite roles. Um, so thank you, Adam, for that. And I will never forget that time. Um, if you want to know more about us, you can look up www.connersmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an E-R. You can find us on Facebook at Connor and Smith with an ER again um, please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast it really helps us out every listen gives us one penny one penny thank you for the penny um, and that's really sad but that's kind of what it boils down to but anyway as we always say turn, turn your heart into art good night everybody